2: Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here at the Victorian Pride Centre studios, uh, my name's Jack, I'm here with Jacinta, and uh, this is Well, 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 it's our Radiothon episode, well, one of two, and um, That's an important part of tonight's episode. It's running all the way through to April 8th, and we'd love you to support the show, the station, and our rainbow communities. We're hoping to raise $800 each episode for Radiothon from your donations, subscriptions, and memberships. So if you're keen to support Joy, head to joy.org.au or call 1300-JOY949. That's one 569 949 Uh, during the show. That's before 10 p.m. Indeed, if you start or renew your membership or donate over $40, you'll go into the draw to receive a key to unbolt the vault, which contains over $30,000 in prizes. Again, to keep Rainbow Communities on air while supporting well, 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 and uh, the diverse voices that make up the show, head to joy.org.au, uh, joy.org.au or call three hundred join 949 uh, before 10 p.m. tonight. Uh, it is also Trans Day of Visibility, and I think that's a big part of uh, this week's show, Center, um, And I mean, part of that we're going to be addressing now. uh, Who do we have on the line at the moment?
1: We are joined by Dr Fiona Bishop, who is the president of AusPath, the Australian Professional Association for Trans Health. So today on Trans Day of Visibility, AusPath have released a new national standard of care, and we're going to find out all about it. Thank you so much for joining us, Fiona. Thank you for having me. What are these new guidelines about?
0: Well, these guidelines are, I have to say, say one of the most exciting things that I've been involved in producing. For many years, we've been wanting to have a standardised guideline for medical practitioners who want to help trans people access gender-affirming hormone therapy. And we haven't had a guideline. We've had, there are some guidelines overseas, but we didn't have our own special guidelines for us in Australia. And that's what this document aims to do. It aims to give medical practitioners, uh, whether they be GPs or specialists or nurse practitioners all over the country, to give them the uh, information they need to be able to start through an informed consent process to start a trans person, binary or non-binary, on gender-affirming hormone therapy.
1: And what is the informed consent model of care? Is that what these guidelines are based on?
0: Yes, it is. So we use the phrase informed consent a lot in medicine. Um, If you've ever had an operation, you would have had to sign a consent form. Uh, And informed consent means that you've had something properly explained to you before you consent to do it or have it. Um, In the past, with gender affirming hormone care, people had to go through quite a lengthy process of assessment and seeing psychiatrists and other mental health professionals and specialists to be able to access hormone care. And um, historically, and rightly so, trans people have seen that as being discriminatory because you don't have to do that in order to access other types of medical care. Uh, It was seen as what they call a gatekeeping approach. And a movement grew which looked at a different way of doing things, which was to, instead of uh, getting people to have to go through a, a long assessment process, et cetera, that you could actually just explain what it means to go onto hormones and what the risks are and what the side effects are, give the individual all the information they need to be able to be informed enough to consent to start the hormones. So that's what the informed consent model
2: is. How were these guidelines developed? I I guess, what was the process of making them a a national standard of care?
0: Yeah. So um, we had a lot of people involved in putting these together. Um, We already had some protocols that were being used around the country. Um, There was a a protocol that was developed by the people who worked at the Equinox Clinic in Melbourne, um, which pretty much reflects what most people around the country were using Um, when they were doing informed consent, because people have been doing it for many years. Um, It's not a new thing. It's just that we didn't have the guidelines for it. So we took that protocol and we got a whole bunch of people to look at it. Basically, um, people who do lots and lots of prescribing for trans patients, um, specialists, uh, people who have been involved in writing scientific uh, research articles around Uh, hormone therapy, risks, um, side effects etc and we got input from all those people. We also got input from the community on how what they thought should be included in the guidelines and how they'd like them to be presented and we made sure that their views were very much um, you know central to the formation of the guidelines. So it's been through a lot of people's hands uh, and we've got consensus from everyone who's looked through it. Um, it's been in, in the works for quite a while because it's taken us a while to get on, get everyone on board, uh, basically to be able to consult with everyone we needed to consult with. Uh, and we were really excited to be able to have them ready by Trans Day Visibility. And here they are.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, why is it important to release the guidelines today? I mean, it's well, kind of I mean, obvious, but... trans,
0: yeah. <laughs> trans Day of Visibility is, is a, an important day because it's really an opportunity for us to acknowledge trans people and their achievements and their, uh, you know, the, the obstacles they face and, and their courage in being able to face those obstacles and, and, and move forward in their lives. So um, it's a really important day internationally for trans people. And to be able to release the guidelines on such an auspicious day is just extra special, I think.
2: I guess, how can more healthcare providers um, be aware of and use these national standards of care? Um, What kind of uh, support and actions um, do you think are needed?
0: Yeah, so it has been a problem that a lot of trans people, when they go to um, say their GP and say, look, I really want to start gender affirming Um, hormones, uh, I want to transition medically, that their GP just says, well, I'd like to help you but I don't know anything about it so I'll have to send you to somebody else. And so the whole point of these guidelines is that they don't actually have to do that. They can actually have a look at the guidelines and realise that it's not that hard. Um, So the trick is going to be to get GP's um, level of awareness about the guidelines raised. So uh, we need a we need to be able to, to distribute them. We need people to become aware of them. Um, you know, we have a small number of GPs around the country who are members of OSPATH and are really have been involved in, in the production of these guidelines. And we just want uh, the guidelines to become an important resource that is um, referred to by educational uh, bodies around the country, including the GP college. Um, you know, we have got an online learning module that we've just um, released through Asham which is um, going to be complementary to the guidelines. And there's another one coming along that will be a bit more advanced. So it's really about trying to get GPs more aware of the existence of these resources and, and feeling comfortable being able to use them.
2: Have you found that that, um, I suppose, that response from GPs, um, differs depending on location, uh, whether it's states, regions, um, if, you know, say uh, regional areas versus cities. Um, what is the current state of trans healthcare in Australia across the country?
0: Yeah, well, it is quite variable. Um, I suppose traditionally you would expect doctors in more rural locations to be uh, a bit more conservative, although that's not always the case. And, and certainly there's, I know of many GPs who work in the country, who are active proponents of informed consent for their trans patients. Um, so I think it, it depends on the, the age of the GP, their level of um, understanding around what it means to be transgender, uh, their level of understanding around what hormone therapy actually involves and what the rules are. We often see that, that, I often hear patients say, well, I went to a GP and they said they're not allowed to do it which is also not true. Um, Any GP can write the hormones that are required for transition. Um, It's just a matter of them being more comfortable and confident to do that. Certainly when it comes to prescribing, for instance, testosterone, there does need to be a specialist involved in the um, decision to prescribe, but the GP can certainly write those prescriptions. So um, I think around the country we have a lot of different levels of knowledge and confidence around prescribing and look there are going to be unfortunately a small number of doctors who uh, are transphobic um, which is very unfortunate but I think the majority of doctors once you are able to educate them about it are usually um, willing to learn more and, and to become an active prescriber for their patients.
2: What I I guess different strategies exist to reach GPs from different backgrounds. I mean, I I, I mentioned earlier states, regions versus cities, um, but, I mean, you also mentioned um, age, I imagine, would play part of it. Um, Are are there different uh, ways that uh, AusPath may have established to best um, reach as many GPs as possible, indeed healthcare professionals as possible, um, with these guidelines?
0: Yeah, so we've got the guidelines published on our website, so we'll be trying to um, spread the word about that. But um, to reach the difficult to reach doctors is is quite a challenge. I think one way would be to um, be able to uh, have a, an article about them in medical magazines and, and perhaps to get the guidelines published in a peer-reviewed journal would be um, a useful step. Um, being able to get the the College of General Practitioners engaged in um, referring to the guidelines because um, all doctors have to do um, ongoing medical education and you know we could have, um, in fact the online learning module does allow people to be able to get medical education points from, from learning about trans health. So for instance, um, you could get the college involved in, in that sort of activity as well. Um, And other specialist colleges as well, like the Sexual Health College, uh, Physicians College, uh, etc. So, uh, and Endocrinology College as well. So I think there's a few different professional organisations that that, um, need to know about the guidelines and become involved in propagating them amongst the medical community.
1: Fiona, for those who don't know about AusPath, can you tell us about what you do? Sure. So, Auspath is Australia's
0: peak body for professionals involved in the health, rights, and wellbeing of all trans people. Um, it was initially established back in 2009 and was called Anspath then because we had Australian and New Zealand professionals. Um, since then, the the New Zealanders have gone off to form their own association. Good on them, fantastic. And we uh, are, you know, very much um, involved in discussions with the people in PASA, which is the Professional Association for Trans Health in Ayatollah. Um, So, we're very friendly with the New Zealanders. Um, So, over time, so we changed our name to OZPASS. um, And I think that the organisation has really evolved over time. Um, It's become a lot more inclusive of trans people and community. We now have, we have a board of nine directors. Um, of which I'm the president, and currently five of the directors are trans people. So um, that's been a big shift to actually not just involving community, but having community central to uh, the organisation. So most people who are members of VozPass are health professionals or are somehow involved in health, trans health, trans rights. Um, And we have um, been very, very busy creating educational workshops, etc. We have a conference that we run usually every two years. We're about to have our conference next month, uh, actually in May, which was meant to be last year, which uh, unfortunately had to be postponed because of COVID. The conference is a really great opportunity to get together and share uh, the latest research on trans health and also for, uh, we have a workshop day where we um, like to try and educate people in the medical fraternity about trans health, um, which also has points for college as well. So all the GPs who come along to that can can get points for coming and learning about trans health. Uh, We're also very, very busy um, and involved in advocacy. We've spent a huge amount of time over the last two years working on advocacy because there's just been so much transphobia out there in the mainstream press and coming from um, various various bodies, so uh, we spend a lot of time writing statements and uh, our Vice President, Teddy Cook, um, who is a trans man, has been extremely active in um, advocacy at both a state and federal level. Um, So, we do a lot to try and raise the visibility of trans people and to raise issues to do with their human rights and their access to medical care.
2: Is that AusPath conference um, really only accessible by, or, or like, uh, able to be attended by health um, people working in the health profession, or is it um, open to? No, for...
0: the conference is, conference is open to everybody, actually. Yeah. Right. Anyone can anyone can join and come along.
2: Fantastic. Um, I, I guess on along those lines, for trans and gender diverse listeners who are not healthcare professionals but um, are accessing those those health services themselves, can they get involved in AusPath broadly? So not just the conference, um, and support the use of these guidelines in other ways.
0: Um, so certainly, I would encourage them to be able to um, to yeah to share the guidelines um, amongst any health professionals they have contact with. Um, so, in terms of um, advocacy, like going onto the OZPATH website and having a look at our position statements and being able to um, to spread those around as well, because we have position statements on so many different um, issues that have come up in recent times, including stuff about trans youth, legal gender recognition, um, conversion therapy, etc. So there's a lot of things that we have um, put a huge amount of effort into putting really um, detailed, very well-referenced statements together which they can access, which can be very useful if they're wanting to put forward a position themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, if there's a trans person who perhaps does have, um, like you said, a transphobic experience or they have an experience with the GP who doesn't know about the informed consent standard of care or at least doesn't follow it what can they do can they use the standards of care in a particular way when they come face to face with that
0: yeah i mean i think it's really it's awful that often trans people end up having to be the educators of their of the health professional they've Mm -hmm. gone to see and it's a very common situation um, at all levels of medical care Um, and it, it's very unfortunate, and, and I, it, I think it's very unfair that trans people have to be put in that position where they have to provide that education to, their, to their, uh, the health professional who they've gone to for help. Um, but certainly being able to point them in the direction of the standards of care is now going to be um, a really helpful way of perhaps bringing that health practitioner up to speed on how to help them.
2: I guess, what other resources are are available for trans people or transgender diverse people to access um, if they're they're interested in more info around um, standards standards of care or or to share awareness?
0: Yeah, so um, there are, um, if you go to the AusPath um, website, we actually have a a page called standards of care. And uh, on that um, page, we have all of this we have the, not only our new, new guidelines, but we also have um, some guidelines that were written by one of our members who is a GP up in the Northern Territory that were published in a, a college uh, magazine. We've got a position statement from endocrinologists um, that was published in the Medical Journal of Australia. And we've, there's also the Standards of Care for Children and Adolescents that was um, written by the team from the... Um, Children's Hospital in Melbourne. We've also got a, an access to the World Professional Association for Trans Health Standards of Care there as well. So there's a bunch of different standards that um, are all pretty well aligned um, that people can access if they're looking for for that further information.
1: Yeah, fantastic.
0: And the other thing, and I guess the other thing I really should mention, and it's not an OZPATH initiative at all, but um, uh, um, is If there's any trans person out there who isn't aware of a website called TransHub, you should go to it right now because it is probably the best online um, resource for trans people and for people who are involved in the care of trans people. Um, There's so much on the TransHub website that is useful. Um, I highly recommend that people go and take a look at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was going to mention TransHub <laughs> and I think, were they involved in the, um, I guess, the production of the new standards of care?
0: Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, we do involve TransHub. In fact, um, they let us use some of their beautiful imagery from oh, their wonderful. website yeah. in our guidelines. So when you mm-hmm. look at the guidelines, you'll see some pictures that might be familiar to you if you've been to the TransHub site. Um, so yes, they, they did. And in fact, the Trans team from TransHub and from ACON uh, were very much involved in looking over these guidelines and nitpicking them for us um, as part of our, um, our striving to keep community at the centre of these guidelines.
1: Absolutely. And with these standards of care, what, what do you really hope to see you know, over the next few years, over the next 10 years happening in healthcare spaces for trans and gender diverse people?
0: What we really want to see is that people who are trans, they're able to go to their GP and their GP is able to say, oh yes, I know about these guidelines, I can help you. And not just simply refer them on or say, no, I don't know anything about this. Um, so just improving access, which has been, I think, the biggest thing is that people can't find a doctor or have it. it's difficult for them to find a healthcare provider who can um, help them with um medical transition and so the standards of care are there to give people that to give gps um that confidence to be able to stand up and go yes i can do this
1: yeah that's great and especially when there is you know a lot of um wait lists and really a lack of knowledgeable gps for trans and gender diverse healthcare it means that you know, hopefully, theoretically, any GP can be across these standards of care and mm. attend the online training module that yeah. Auspath have and be able to provide at least that informed standard of care yeah. for any patient who walks through their door. So that's really fantastic and hopefully it increases the amount of accessible healthcare professionals for trans people to see.
2: Absolutely, um, I guess before we, um Let you go, Fiona. It is Trans Day of Visibility, I guess, um, to yourself or to to AUSPATH more broadly, I I guess, what importance does Trans Day of Visibility have and um, potentially how has that changed over the the last few years and and moving forward as well?
0: Well, you know, in the past we had, we used to have Trans Day of Remembrance, which of course we still have, Mm. which has always been a very um, solemn day. And uh, you know, a day to to think about all the people who are no longer with us because of transphobia and and acts of violence and murder. And you know, I, it, it's very very important that that day exists. But I think we also really desperately need needed to have something that was uplifting, and I think that's what Trans Day of Visibility is, and just to to bring into into the light the fact that there are thousands and thousands of trans people out there, and you know, when we when we celebrate Trans Day of Visibility, what we want to say is we see you and we want to be able to support you in standing up for who you are.
1: Yeah, such an important message. Mm. Thank you so much, Fiona, for taking the time to speak with us today. We wish you and the team at AusPath all the best for these new guidelines. And thank you so much for your work generally at Ozpath. You, you know, do so much it's for our important. communities. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, it's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about these guidelines coming up because I've been waiting for them for so long. And um, it's just, I'm so proud about it. We've had such an amazing team and so many, so many people who've been involved in helping. I, I can't go through the list. It's huge, but especially huge shout out to Teddy Cook, um, Maggie Smith and Cara Sue from the board who helped and also the people at Thorne Harbour Health and Equinox and ACON and TransHub and countless others. Thank you all so much.
1: Thank you so much, Fiona. And you can find those standards of care on the OzPath website at ozpath.org.au.
2: Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and wellbeing, presented by Joy Sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org.